Oh, they'll fake it. Bates throws it. He's got him. Wide open. He's got Charlie Gant inside the 10. He can walk in. Spartans win. Touchdown, MSU. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan Stakes. Jalen wants Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Green and White Noise. My name is Chris Vanini. I'm joined by Colton Pouncey. We are your hosts, and it's time to talk Michigan State football the old brass platoon, and play some listener voicemails. Colton, what's going on? Nothing much, Chris. Uh, yeah, I got to see the old brass platoon Saturday night, uh, you know, live and up close. It's even more glorious than I imagined. I actually didn't get to see it last year, so as a pure fan of trophies, uh, it's a good day right now. Yes, and I think something, I think spit was a good way to uh, – kind of uh, sum up this game. Uh, Michigan State wins, beats Indiana 40-31, to a score aided by a fumble as time expired. Uh, we will get into that. Uh, thanks to everybody who's listening. As you guys know, this weekly Monday podcast is free wherever you get podcasts. Our Thursday preview edition is only available on The Athletic, and we will be talking Ohio State coming up on Thursday. That's for subscribers only. Highly recommend you guys do that. So, MSU wins again, 40-31, a game that uh, thought it looked like they might pull away early. They didn't. Indiana ends up taking the lead, nearly extends the lead. MSU takes the lead back, back and forth they go. A field goal at the end wins the game. Uh, to move MSU to 4-1 and on the year, 2-0 and in the Big Ten. Uh, Colton, you are obviously there. What were your kind of initial reactions and, and thoughts coming out of that one yeah you know they take an early lead and I think you're feeling pretty good about the outcome but Indiana just just didn't go away throughout that game um you know Michael Penix kept them in and he was making plays throughout on this M- MSU defense and uh it, it got tight there um it's pretty evident in the second half actually that that Indiana was going to take the lead um just the way they're moving the ball it, it really felt inevitable um, so that, I mean, at one point you start thinking, man, Michigan State's offense is going to have to win this game if, if the defense can't get a stop. Um, and if, if this were last year, I think MSU loses that game just the way things were trending. But, you know, Brian Lewerke came back in the fourth quarter and he was really in command. Um, didn't have his best game, uh, a number wise, but, you know, I thought what he showed was, was that confidence that had kind of been lacking last year. You know, I saw him on the sidelines and. He's out there fist bumping guys. He's telling Mark D'Antonio that you know he's having he's having fun out there when they're down. Um, that, that's just kind of the way he was he was feeling that game and patting guys on the shoulder, saying "Let's go." He didn't seem phased at all. Um, he knew he'd have to win that game, and he really didn't flinch. So I think that was huge to see. Um, the defense isn't always going to be that bad, but but knowing Lewerke and the offense can come through, I think that's a huge confidence booster, and I think you have to feel good about four and one. Yeah, let, let's start with Lewerke. I think he is the most interesting entity coming out of this game. Uh, like you said, his numbers overall were not spectacular. 18 for 36, 300 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, he also rushed for 78 yards. Um, but I, I thought it was more than the numbers. I thought it was the maybe the smartest game he's ever played at MSU. Just a, a guy who, you know, early in the year we talked about uh, – 
if wide receivers weren't getting open, if he wasn't reading the field. He found the right guy like nearly every single time in this game. Uh, he, he knew where to get the ball. He knew from the snap where he wanted to go, and he knew how to react. Uh, his throws weren't always accurate. He threw behind Daryl Stewart a number of times. Uh, but he it was the first time in a long time I think you, you felt like he was in control out there. And he did have, again, no turnovers. He did have a fumble that was nullified on a penalty. But, I, I, Colton, you, you uh, tweeted out his total stats after the game. I think it's 10 touchdowns and one interception on the season. Uh, so he, he's taking better, uh, much better care of the ball than he has in previous years. And that's the, that's the quarterback who can turn this into a really good season for MSU, that, that Brian Lewerke. He's got to hit. You know, he's got to be six inches farther out on some of these throws. It's not like they were terrible throws, but they were sometimes behind enough where a defense could get a hand in. But uh, So Lewerke was, I thought, the most interesting um, part of the game. But what did you think of his uh, play on, on the field? I mean, you talk about on the sideline, he was he seemed really into it. Uh, in terms of the throws he was making, what did you think? Yeah, like I think people like to harp on, on his accuracy. Um He's never been an accurate quarterback, even in that 2017 season. You know, he wasn't the most accurate guy. So I, I don't think you're looking for him to just dramatically improve in that area as, as a senior in his final year. Um, so I think what you wanted to see was, you know, a guy that can kind of command the huddle, right? Um, the offense, we, we talked about this in the past. Maybe they were just, you know, if it was a lack of confidence or maybe that swagger that had been missing over the years. I thought that was there Saturday night, um, really, from the work and the rest of the, white, the rest of the guys leading the way. Um, Daryl Stewart was on the sidelines doing the same thing. Lewerke was pumping those guys up. Um, so to see him come out, especially late in that game, knowing that they needed to score for MSU to win that game, um, you know, he comes down, hits Elijah Collins for a 16-yard gain, hits Matt Seibert in the end zone for that touchdown, um, comes right back out. You get a field goal drive to put him up 31-24. Um, you know, just, just the way that he was kind of in control of that offense, I thought it was, it was really nice to see, and I think that's a pretty encouraging performance going forward. And another really smart play from him was slowing down before getting to the end zone on that final uh, run before before they kneeled it out. Um, that was again really really smart play. He set it up perfectly. It's you 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 know you never want to tell a guy to not score a touchdown, and a lot of players don't have the presence of mind to think about that. Uh, and for him to do that, I thought was again really smart. Just I, I thought maybe the smartest game he had played. Uh, in his MSU career. Uh, so before we go further, let's get to some listener voicemails. Uh, we send it out after the game on Twitter. Uh, if you didn't catch it and you want to catch it in the future, the number is 517-798-6319. Uh, we, got, we got a handful after this game, so let's play a couple and talk about them. First, we will go to uh, Matt from Davison. Hey, this is Matt Getlock calling from Davison, Michigan. Uh, good outcome for the game. It was nice to see that our offense could win one for us. Nice to have a team that can win multiple ways. And I'd just like to say that I'd rather Indiana expose the holes in our defense uh, than Ohio State because Ohio State would have really hurt us, and I hope we can make some adjustments before next week. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Right. Uh, before we talk about the defense, we got another one that's a similar topic, so I wanted to play this one first, and this is Hanson from Crucial Waukesha in Wisconsin. Hello, my name is Hanson. I live in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and my comment about uh, this 
win over Indiana is what did what what did Indiana figure out about our defense to move the ball so well and score so many points on our defense that other teams with the past couple of years have not and what kind of blueprint does that lay down for uh future opponents that we are gonna be facing this this season. Thanks. So Colton, let's let's talk about the defense. I think that's the biggest worry uh, MSU fans probably have coming out of this game. Uh, Michael Penix uh, completed 20 consecutive passes at some point. Indiana was moving up and down the field a number of times. Uh, I, I thought Indiana figured out the weakness of this MSU defense, as has been in the last couple of years, and that that's in the flats. That's wide receiver screens, swing passes to the outside, stuff that makes the linebackers. And move side to side and the safeties come down. The corners have to get off blocks, and, and, and they weren't. Uh, Indiana figured that out. You know, of, of those 20 consecutive completions, I, I'd venture at least half had to be within a couple of yards of the line of scrimmage. But that that's a credit to them running a, a smart game plan in terms of how to attack this MSU defense. Um, they were also beat deep a couple times, though. So, what did, I mean, what did you take away from the defense, especially the, the pass defense? Yeah, that that was the main conversation for for uh, reporters with players after the game, um, and it, you know, depending who you ask, you got a different answer. Uh, Joe Bocci said he felt like Indiana knew um, when MSU was going to blitz, and they kept checking the sidelines and kind of you know coming away with a different play that would you know better suit the offense. Um, Mike Panishuk said those quick passes kind of neutralized the pass rush and um, you know kind of limited Kenny and Jacob Panishuk on the other side. Uh, and David Dow said that MSU just needs to tackle better in space because when you're spread out in those one-on-one situations, um, you can't really afford to miss a tackle because then it takes time for the rest of the defense to get to the ball. Um, so when you have a rough day tackling like that with that sort of formation, you see the results. You know, guys are breaking tackles, getting loose, getting extra yards that they probably shouldn't have. Um, and, and MSU's defense will see these looks from teams going forward. Um, you know, it is a copycat league. <laughs> I think Ohio State and, and, and Ryan Day are watching that game. Or they'll, they'll look back on that film and say, okay, I think we can, you know, emulate some of these things. Um, I think the good news for MSU is that the surprise element is, is gone. I think they realize that, hey, we showed a weakness, so maybe teams will try to do this against us, and now we'll be, you know, better prepared for it. But, um, you know, I think that style of, of play will be a topic um, of conversation this week. Yeah, it's how Northwestern moved the ball so well against MSU in the past few years um it's been it's been a problem for a while and and you know Josiah Scott had a real tough game got a handful of pass interference penalties got beat deep a handful of times and also struggled to get off blocks on those wide receiver screens so uh, I think it's certainly a proper concern for MSU moving forward as it moves into a tough stretch uh for the year we have another voicemail here from a uh he's not a first-time caller and uh, those who have listened in the past may remember him, so let's play that one. Hello! The man who pooped his pants from Katy, Texas, America. Uh, you know, I feel, I feel good about this game. You know, uh, in 2015, you know, that year when all those expectations were high, I would have left kind of being like, oh, man, we're in trouble. But you know how D'Antonio has had success at Michigan State was he had teams who won close games, and that's what we did today. No, it didn't look perfect, but he had teams that didn't poop their piss. That's D'Antonio has set the culture at Michigan State, 
where it's like, hey, we've got teams when it comes down to a close game in the fourth quarter, we're not going to poop our pants. And that's what this team did. They found a way to win. And I think it was a good confidence booster for the offense, too, to kind of be like, hey, we build, we build the defense out today. So um, it's just good to see the, the Spartans not poop their pants and find their way into the end zone. So that's all I have to say about that. That's right. MSU did not poop its pants at the end of this game. Uh, especially offensively, you know, th- this felt like a 2017 win. Though, you know, when MSU kept winning games by one score, often by scoring late or getting the stop late, just making the clutch plays, uh, you know, Lewerke executing uh, urgent drives late. It, ju- it just felt a lot like the 2017 team. Uh, of course, the 2017 team was destroyed in Columbus that season. <laughs> but, Colton, what, what did you make you know MSU was in a close game again just like against Arizona State this time they made the plays to win it uh what can you kind of say about you know is there real momentum to take to take out of a game like that yeah I think so I mean you go back to that Northwestern game and what we wanted to see was MSU you know coming through in the red zone uh they did that against Northwestern and they did it against Indiana so I think you can take away some some things for this for this offense right now and um, you know, guys on defense were thrilled, uh, not not with their own performance, obviously, but just knowing that, you know, they have an offense that, that's functioning and, you know, you know, taking taking advantage of those those opportunities in the red zone and, and knowing those guys can come through for them late in games. I think that's that's just huge. Um, and, and good teams win win close games. Even in 2017, I wrote this in my story. Uh, Michigan State was six and one in games decided by 10 points or fewer that year. So good teams come on top in those games more often than not. And, you know, against Indiana probably tougher than you want it to be, but Michigan State came out on top and they're four and one. That's what's most important. That's right. So thanks again to some of you guys who called in. Uh, reminder, we'll try to do it after each game. Again, the number is 517-798-6319. Just call after the game. Give us your thoughts, uh, any questions you might have, uh, and, and and go from there. So let's move into a handful of kind of miscellaneous things that I wrote down during and after the game that I kind of wanted to talk about. Uh, let's start with the decision to run the ball on fourth and one. Uh, a handoff to, I believe it was Jefferson, despite, I think it might have been the previous drive, a quarterback sneak working on third and one. You and I tweeted at the exact same time after the QB sneak that the QB sneak <laughs> is undefeated. And it, oh, yeah. and it is. And yet they decided to... Uh, not do that. Uh, what what did you make of that uh, decision in, in in that instance? Well, first of all, I think we need to trademark uh, the QB sneak is undefeated. <laughs> we could probably sell some uh, some podcast merch or something like that. It's right there. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, like it works every single time, and even when it doesn't look like it's going to work, it works. Um, I get not wanting to be predictable and everything, but. I don't think anyone would fault you for going for it on, on fourth and one with the QB sneak and, and getting stopped because it's an effective play and it's a high percentage play. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess they're trying to make Ladarius Jefferson the short yards back. Um, they're trying to find roles for these different guys because, you know, D'Antonio has to kind of balance it. I know I think Elijah Collins is clearly the top back right now, but it's kind of about managing personalities right now and still trying to find different roles for different guys. So I understand why he wants Ladarius Jefferson as a short yards back, but when you have a play that's just as money as that QB snake, you got to go with that. Uh, speaking of 
the running back position. Um, Connor Hayward was not dressed. MSU deferred comment during the game to the coaches afterward. What came of that? Yeah, so we kind of noticed early on he's normally out there pretty pretty early with, with the specialists and the returners, and he wasn't out there. Um, then the rest of the team came out and, and still no sign of him. So D'Antonio was asked about him after the game and said that he sat out for personal reasons. Um you know, wouldn't confirm that he was transferring or in the transfer portal or anything of that nature. So I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, he did mention that Brandon Boyer Randall, uh, one of the linebackers on the team, is in the transfer portal and he wasn't at the game. So I think you can reasonably expect that he won't be back. Um, but I guess we're still kind of waiting on, on Connor Hayward. And I think a lot of people were looking at that running back position. Um, D'Antoni even said after the game that Ladarius Jefferson, there's some talk there with him potentially redshirting and uh, maybe looking at his options, but 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 he played. Um, Hayward was kind of a no-show that game. I, I'm not sure what's going on. I want to speculate, but um, that'll be something to monitor for sure going forward. I, I mean, I think it's notable that D'Antonio would confirm one transfer and not another, if that's the case. So we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens. Elijah Collins, we didn't we haven't really talked about him, but he had 17 carries for 56 yards, a touchdown, 3.3 per carry. Not an explosive game, but I, I think, again – you know, you, you see the bright spots, you see the great vision and adjustment on that touchdown run to bounce it outside. Uh, he, he, he sees the holes very well. Again, he's just, he has very, very good vision, especially for a young back like him. Uh, still, I think, uh, blocking was not great at times. There, there weren't many instances where I thought, uh, he made the wrong decision. So Collins, Again, still seems to be the number one back. He had 17 carries. The next closest was Lewerke with 12. So, you know, Lewerke in the option game might be your number two running uh, plan right now because Jefferson had two carries, Anthony Williams won, Larest Nelson won. Uh, so this looks like it's Collins and Lewerke moving forward. And Lewerke took a number of shots. He's probably going to take a number of shots moving forward, but I think that's what they feel is – the best uh, decision for the run game. And consider, so speaking of the offense, I think Brad Salem, the offense coordinator deserves a lot of credit for calling a very good game uh, right from the beginning. The, 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 the tight end screen going the other way, passing to set up the run uh, deep shots. It, it felt like MSU had a plan from the beginning and went about executing that plan. And the only reason they didn't score more was because, uh, for the most part, was execution from the players. Lewerke going a little long on a on a pass uh, to the running back that would have been a first down. That's on – it was a drop, although I think Lewerke could have placed it better. The next play is that fourth and one. But, you know, Lewerke a cup behind on a couple throws. So other than, other than uh, execution, I thought offensive game plan was really strong. And for all the heat that the coaches get – I thought Brad Salem uh, had a very strong game. What did you think? Yeah, no, I have to agree with you, Chris. Um, and you look at, you know, MSU scored 34 points, if you don't count that, you know, fumble touchdown at the very end there. But 34 points, and, and you know, you can make a case for even more. Um, obviously, the work he pulled up at that one-yard line, that could have easily been a touchdown. They missed they miss a field goal, too. Yep, they missed a field goal. Missed a field goal. And then, yeah, there's a pass to Anthony Williams that, you know, kind of a bad pass on the work he's part and he dropped it. I think if he catches that, he's got plenty of daylight in front of him. Uh, maybe that's potentially a touchdown or at least, you know, gets you closer. Um, you know, he missed 
Cody White, who was, you know, kind of open on the sidelines on one throw. So I think you, you can make a case that, you know, MSU scored 34 points and that was great to see, but they left a lot on the board too. And I think in a way that's kind of encouraging because the, just the fact that, you know, we're sitting here talking about how much the offense could have done better um, and they still scored 34 points, which would have been great last year. So um, some things to work on for sure, but I think this offense is definitely trending in the right direction. And speaking of offense, I guess another, it's not a criticism, but I, I keep saying it all the time. I've been saying it for years. MSU's offense, when it plays with tempo, is a lot better. We saw it on the drive before halftime and the drive at the end of the game. Two-minute drives, there were some stoppages in there, but generally when there's urgency and the players just play and don't have to think and they just react, things, especially the work, everything just seems to go better, you know. I still think MSU should run tempo a lot more. Keep saying it. Going to keep saying it. It is what it is. Uh, switching to the other side, though, there was another play a lot of people were upset about. A third and 12, Indiana throws a touchdown pass when MSU rushes two and drops Raquan Williams back to spy. It brought up a lot of memories of the Arizona State game, the fourth down, rushing three. Uh, I don't understand why you do that the defensive line is the strength of this team of the defense i mean so you should play to that and force on some pressure i you know defense had a tough game i thought that call specifically was not a call that put the players in the best uh, position and it ended up being a wide open touchdown pass scott or, or the safety i'm not sure what the call was but somebody got beat pretty badly and uh yeah rushing two on third and 12 touchdown just felt like arizona state what do you think of that yeah i agree um it, it, it's it's pretty simple. You know, you have one of the best defensive lines in the country. Um, why take those guys off the field? Um, I know I know what Indiana was doing. They were trying to get the ball out quickly to kind of neutralize that defensive line, but I still think more often than not, you want those guys out there on a big play, and Indiana came in with a touchdown there. So, yeah, it was, that was an issue there. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the best defensive lines in the country. Raquel Williams is a potential first-round pick, and you've got him spying on a third down. I feel like he's a guy you want you want to just send after the quarterback. Make make them adjust to you. Don't you know this goes with that fourth down call too. The the uh, the the handoff. This team only has a few strengths, and I feel like they just overthink it sometimes and don't always play to those strengths. You know the the throw to Daryl Stewart a bunch and Cody White that works. The slants they've gotten back to that more and more. But going away from the QB sneak is an example. Rushing two on third and 12 is an example. Like, just, you know, play to your strengths. Make them make them adjust to you. you don't, don't pre-adjust to them. I just I think, so. again, coaches did a generally a good job in this game, I think. But uh, I think they just overthink it sometimes. And so Michael Penix, he was questionable coming into the game. We didn't talk about him a ton last week because it looked like Peyton Ramsey might be the guy. But... Penix looked really good. I mean, 20 straight completions. I know they weren't all – They, you know, there were a handful of deep passes in that stretch. Uh, I don't care who you are. 20 straight completions, two away from the Big Ten record against a really good Michigan State defense. I think he has the potential to be a very good quarterback down the road for Indiana. Uh, what did you make of his performance? Yeah, first and foremost, I'm thankful I went the whole game without an unfortunate spelling error with his name. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was there was one Indiana writer who 
who who did it who made the mistake yeah. <laughs> others weren't as lucky yeah um no but yeah he, he played really well um msu defensive players sort of sort of praised him after the game and said um they think he can be a player in this conference um yeah you mentioned it. only redshirt freshman completed 20 straight attempts on the road against a top 10 defense that's huge and he was the reason why indiana was even in this game and i think he'll be a player going forward for sure you know, he, they barely, they were, Indiana was up four and they, or three, three or four, and they b- uh, barely missed a deep ball that would have been, if that was on the money, that would have been a long touchdown pass and a 10 point Indiana lead. They end up missing it, punting, and MSU takes the lead back in a handful of plays later. That was a big swing right there in that moment. But other than that, which, was not you know wasn't a terrible throw. I thought Penix was a very catchable ball. He puts it in a spot where it's generally not going to get intercepted. There weren't many chances for MSU to to force turnovers. There there weren't passes that were uh, into bad spots or something like that. So I don't know. I, I think Indiana's got a really good quarterback down the road there, and Michael Penix Jr. Very strong game. So as we wrap up this game, let's go to the Le'Veon Bell. How did he do that moment of the game? For me, it's Daryl Stewart, his adjustment and making the catch on the game-winning drive on the Lewerke. It's it's more of a jump ball. He kind of just threw it up there and told Stewart to go get it. And he did. Stewart finished with five catches, 117 yards, two touchdowns. Very strong game for him again. But I think that catch uh, in a big moment, just going up and straight beating the defensive back, I thought uh, that's my Le'Veon Bell. How did he do that moment of the game? How about you? I'm going to give some love to uh, Matt Seibert um, on, on his touchdown in the fourth quarter. You know, that was, that was to retake the lead and he ran a really nice kind of double move to the outside. Um, he got an Indiana defender to bite before working his way back inside. Um, Lewerke hit him right out of his break, right as his head turned around and he was there for the touchdown. Uh, and that, that was a huge play obviously in the game. But um, Chris, I have a stat for you um, with these embassy tight ends. Let's hear it. Yeah. So uh, that's Seibert's third touchdown of the season which is the same number of touchdowns that MSU tight ends have recorded in 2017 and 2018 combined. <laughs> he's played, he's played five games this year. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was thinking he, he feels very much like a Josiah Scott. He's very quickly become a, a money guy in the red zone and Josiah Scott that he made a living off of doing that for Michigan State at tight end. And you mean uh, price. Yeah. So it's got, Yes, Josiah Price. It might yeah. be. Thank you for the catch on it. Yeah, I got two different ones to call yeah. my head. I was picturing him. I just, yeah, Josiah Price. That's yeah. God. Thank you. You weren't even covering the team then and you caught it. That's that's why you, we know you are a great beat writer. <laughs> uh, let's go to the John L. Smith screwing it up moment of the game. For me, it's the three 15-yard penalties on the tying uh, Indiana drive, including two pass interference calls on Josiah Scott. I thought both were... Good calls. I mean, the first one was catchable. The guy got a hand on it. You can't say it wasn't uncatchable. Um, it was a, it was, it was underthrown, so it was kind of a tough adjustment because Josiah was running with him and then had to turn when it was underthrown. The second one, he was grabbing, holding onto the jersey low as he was running along with them. Maybe you get away with that sometimes. I don't know. I didn't think they were bad calls. And then a late hit on, I don't remember which Panashuk was it, but one of the Panashuks, a late hit after an incompletion. Um, Led to again. That was the drive. I think Indiana. I think it was the drive. Indiana tied up the game. So that's my John L. Smith screwing it up moment of the game. How about you? Um, mine. It technically wasn't a screw up because MSU ended up winning the game. But 
I'll go with the clock management on that that final field goal attempt at the end. Um, yeah, let's talk about yeah. that. Because I, I thought MSU should have been able to kick that field goal as time expired. Um, I believe it was, it was third down, and they send, they could have sent the offense out for another play and then um, you know snap the ball quickly, use your final timeout there, um, get it down to maybe you know three seconds left, and then you have that game-winning field goal attempt right there, which would have been you know 21, 22 yards. Um, or you just you just kneel out the, the second down clock. You don't have to have that go all the way to zero. You just get it under what 40 or 30 seconds. Yeah. Kneel it on third down after 10, 15 seconds. Then let it run down to yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That, yeah. Exactly. Um, it, it wasn't costly there, but but that's two games where we've seen questionable clock management down the stretch um, with the game on the line, and, and that goes back to coaching. Um, we'll we'll hear from Mark D'Antonio, you know, later and and on Tuesday about you know some of that those issues there, but yeah, that's two games, you know, it didn't prove costly in this one, but I don't, I don't know if you get in those situations later in the season and, you know, you're struggling to come up with the right, the right play and the right outcome there. I think that's something to monitor. Yeah. I think that would have been, that's what most people would do with what you did there. Something I would have done, which is a, a little, maybe a little, it's, it's risky and more safe in two different ways. And that is after you kneel it down for second down, you let the clock, run all the way down, and you save your timeout. You, 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 you kneel it, you send the field goal team out there, let the clock run down, and then when it gets – instead of calling timeout with eight seconds or whatever, you know, with maybe nine, ten seconds, you just snap and kick a normal field goal so you have the timeout. Because if you have a bad – it's only third down, so if you have a bad snap, you just – you jump on it, you call your timeout, you can kick it again. That may be a little complicated, but – I think it might have been better than what they did either way, uh, but different ways you could have approached it. They approached it in a way that gave Indiana a chance at the end. It actually ended up being, <laughs> being another Michigan State touchdown. Yeah. So. But, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people were a little, you know, that that should have been, that should have played out better, and it, that's on the coaches for not understanding that clock stuff right there. So the Jake, uh, I'm sorry, the Mike Sadler punt of the game, he had a number of really good ones. For me, it's a second quarter 60-yarder that was fielded at the three, returned to the 13-yard line. Uh, we want to honor punts on this podcast. So that I thought that was the best punt. Did you have a, a different one? Uh, no, I trust your punt judgment. I'll go with that one. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't need to go. We don't need to break down multiple punts probably, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to do that. So Michigan State is 4-1. Real tough stretch upcoming here, beginning with Ohio State, who we will talk about on Thursday. But how, you know, this was, we knew MSU had to get out to a good start on the record. Um, four and one, could have been five and oh. You know, what, what do you make of where they're at? Do you think there's reason to be optimistic moving forward into the stretch? Um, yes, yes and no. Um, yeah, the, this team should absolutely be five and zero right now. I think the fact that they're four and one is a little bit of a letdown, but um, you know I think they've been showing enough things to where you can have some confidence going into this stretch. Um, maybe not against Ohio State because Ohio State looks really good right now. They look very good. I mean that they look like number one team in the country. Good. Um, so I don't know. I I just the way I look at this team is is the offense is doing what it's doing. You know they're they're scoring in the red zone. They're Piling up yardage, um, Lewerke's playing well. I think you found a back in, in Elijah Collins. Um, Stewart's a number one receiver. So you, you got some pieces there, which you didn't have last year. 
And even last year's game was pretty close, at least into the third quarter and until Ohio State kind of pulled away there. Um, so I, I think you feel cautiously optimistic, and I've said it once, I'll say it again, uh, going to the stretch. Um, but I, I still think there's some things that you need to, you need to see. Right. Four and one, I think it's fine. You know, I, we said before the year, if you were three and two coming in to this stretch, it was probably going to be a real tough year. I think four and one's fine. Five and oh would have been, I think you're feeling pretty good if it's five and oh. And I think four and one with a loss that you gave away is, you know, it's fine. I, I don't, I don't know if this is a team that can contend with Ohio State for the division, but is it a team that could contend to win 10 games? You know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a 2017 type team. So, uh, you know, this is where they had to win games, 4-1. and one, I think you're fine with it. Uh, oh, there was one other thing I wanted to talk about this game. I got a lot of heat on Twitter for it. I am not a fan of the white helmet, color jersey, white pants. Except, and I, I, I added this caveat later, and I should have added it in the same tweet, but Matt Hinton has a theory and a rule that the white helmet only works if you've won a national championship, preferably in it. So your Texas, your Penn State, your Auburn, I think it, I think it's fine. I'm not a fan of MSU's white helmet, green jersey, white pants. So like I think the green, it just it looks empty. When I see a white helmet, I think of like brand new programs that don't have have boring uniforms, like a like a UTSA or a Charlotte or a, something like that. I I I like the white helmet that MSU has. I just really like it with the all white road look. Was not a fan of this. Got a lot of people tweeting at me about it. Told me you I got was very wrong. Where do where do you stand on this? I was gonna say, yeah, you got you got ratioed pretty hard there, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, relatively speaking. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I saw those jerseys, and you know, my thought in real time was, I don't know, I, I don't mind them. Uh, I kind of like the helmet combo. You know, you got the the green stripe on the white helmet, and it matched the you know the white pants with the green stripe. So, I, I thought it was it was fine, but. You had some strong opinions on it, I guess. Well, no, I mean, I didn't even say I hated it. Like, I literally just said I'm not a big fan of it. I but just Chris, think that's the thing. When when you say you don't like a jersey, you automatically hate it. That's that's like, the rules of Twitter. It's better than the neon. I know you like the neon, but <laughs> hey, I think, whoa, 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 take it easy. There. I, I I think the white helmet with the green jersey is better than the neon, but I just think MSU's green helmet, green jersey, white pants look is a really, really strong look. And it emphasized the green, a color that not everybody uses. I just think it's a really, I think it's a good look. And to move away from that helmet uh, for a home game, I'm just, yeah, not a, I'm not a big fan. All I ask is that you leave the neon out of this. That's all I ask. Leave what? Le- all I ask is that you oh. leave the neon out of this. <sighs> Do you- I want you know when they went to Ohio State and won in twenty fifteen, they wore the white pants, white jersey, and the bronze helmet that was an alternate helmet. I wonder if they'll ever break out the neon helmet on the road with the wall white look. I think it'll look terrible, but <laughs> I wonder if they'll do that or something like that. So hmm. we'll see. Uh, Colton, what can readers of the Athletic look forward to from you this week? Yeah, um, I'm gonna have a feature story on Matt Seibert's path to MSU. Um, he's a really uh, pretty interesting backstory. He transferred from Buffalo. Um, you know, he wanted to play football on a bigger stage. Uh, he wasn't guaranteed a scholarship when he came here, and you know, MSU kind of moved him around. You know, he started as a tight end, went to defensive end, uh, moved back to tight end, and you know, now you look at him and 
he's really found a role in this offense. And the quarterback room, they call him Mr. Reliable. He's got three touchdowns already, as we mentioned. And um, he's also a great quote and just really a really interesting dude. So, you know, I, I had fun kind of talking to family members and um, just getting a sense of who he was. So I'll have that story uh, early this week. So keep an eye out for that. That's on The Athletic, only for subscribers. We will be back here on Thursday, only for subscribers, uh, to preview the Ohio State game. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a big one, going up to a top-five team on the road. And we will talk about that on Thursday again. So please, uh, if you haven't, rate, review, tell people to subscribe. Let us know on Twitter at all what you think, good or bad. We pay attention to all that stuff, especially when I talk about helmets. Uh, because we are continuing, we're trying to adapt as this goes. We like the voicemails. We'll try to do that after the game on Saturday. So they'll do it here for Colton. I'm Chris Vanini. Thanks to producer Mike Zimmerman. Shout out to the Road Dog, Jesse James. We'll talk to you all later.